Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. Christy, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's been a while, Chairman Craddock, since you have joined us on the show. A lot of things have happened, and I hope on today's show to get caught up with some of the changes that you guys are working at uh, working uh, on, as well as some of the things that have happened here in the state of Texas in the way of oil and gas that we are all taking uh, advantage of. But first, I want to take a moment and discuss uh, what we produce, something called Energy Minutes. It is an informative public service announcement, if you will, that thanks to our partners, our stations that um, put us on the air, um, want to educate the general public on energy. And so we create every week something that we call Energy Minutes. They're aired again, as I said, through all of our stations, throughout all of the programming on some of the best shows. And so they are widely heard. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because Chairman Craddock, along with you and the other two Texas Railroad Commissioners that we have here in Texas, you guys donate your time to educate the general public on energy and how energy matters to them. So I want to say thank you for donating that time and helping us putting these public service announcements together for the betterment of um, understanding energy better. Well, thank you for continuing to ask us. You know, one of our priorities has been since I've been at this agency is better communication and better information. And we are glad that you are willing to ask us. And so we can get good information out there. I think there's a lot of not correct information about the oil and gas industry. And we've been really uh, excited every time you asked. And I think all three of us are more than willing to get good information and educate people about the oil and gas industry and not just what we do today, but how important it is for everybody across the state and across the country. And for the future. And so um, I want to talk about the Railroad Commission and what you guys do, because I think that there's a lot of <laughs> misinformation on that, too. But first, let's introduce you to uh, our listeners. You are one of the one probably one of the longest serving commissioners at the Texas Railroad Commission. You're a native of Midland uh, in the heart of Permian Basin. You have a bachelor's degree. You also have a, a doctorate in jurisprudence from the University of Texas in Austin. You're an attorney. You specialized in oil, gas, water, tax issues, electric deregulation, and environmental policies. So thank you for your service, dedication to the state, to the citizens of Texas. But let's begin with, tell me a little bit about the Texas Railroad Commission and the main scope of the work and the importance of this agency. Well, as your listeners probably are very aware because they're educated. The Railroad Commission doesn't do railroads anymore. We are oil and gas. There are three of us. We're all elected statewide right now. And we rotate the chairmanship amongst the three of us. And I'm the chairman right now and proud to be so. We've got a great commission. 
and we each serve six-year terms. So you mentioned I've been here for 12, and I'm up again, obviously, this cycle. So uh, we as an agency, though, or I would call us the most important state agency in Texas. We're the oldest regulatory agency in the state, and we do oil and gas regulations. So oil and gas drilling and permitting. We also do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections, and people don't think about how much pipe we have in the state, but we have about 480,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipe in the state. That's to the moon and back, if you think about how far that is. And we also, so that's 480,000 miles plus another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. If you've got natural gas that comes to your home or your business, those rates and the safety of that natural gas comes through this agency. We have coal mines in this in the state, in East Texas and along our border with Mexico. And not the, I call them not the coal mines like in West Virginia where they put on the hard hats and go underground, they're strip mines. And we permit those. We also make sure that that property is cleaned up and looks like beautiful farmland by the time they're finished with those coal mines. But we, and we do what everybody thinks is new, but we, we don't necessarily think some of these technologies are new. We call them new improved. We do geothermal in this state. We have initiated a geothermal permit in about 40 years, but the legislature this last cycle passed a new geothermal bill that we will have rules uh, in the next we're working through them to have some new rules to update our geothermal permitting, new technology that people want to use again. Carbon and carbon capture, no matter what you think of it, we've been using it for 25, almost 25 years in this state that we have pipelines that we put CO2 in and they go into oil fields for enhanced oil recovery. So we were the first state to do that. Now the feds think it's all new. So we are um, glad to be a leader in CO2 and how we use it smart and reuse it in the oil fields. And then the other piece that we've just gotten as well this session is hydrogen. Mm -hmm. The energy of the future, potentially. And so we're in the process. Uh, we have a hydrogen council We are um, that I chair, actually, as being the chairman this year. We will have a report by the end of this year to back to the legislature to tell them where we think opportunities are and also challenges, whether they be legislative or rulemaking. So we can make sure as hydrogen becomes or continues to move forward that Texas is well positioned. So that's kind of some of the highlights of what we do at our agency, but a lot of oil and gas. And, you know, that's a big piece of today's economy in this state. It's 35% of the state's economy is oil and gas. And so I say we're the most important agency in the state. Well, I second that because that's a great lead in for uh, what I want to talk about, some some numbers that are record numbers that we have hit here in Texas, specifically coming out of what you guys regulate, oil and gas. So the Texas Oil and Gas Association released its annual energy and economic impact report. And in this report, it reflects that Texas hit numbers it's never hit before to the tune of um, Texas oil and natural gas industry paid out $26.3 billion in state and local taxes and state royalties in fiscal year 2023. The highest total in Texas history shattering last year's record of more than $1.5 billion. And of course, the Texas Railroad Commission is the one who regulates this industry, as, as we stated earlier. Now, I want to I want to take some opportunity to let you dissect and help us to understand the listeners how 
much money, $26.3 billion goes in the way of who in the state of Texas is enjoying this? And can can you kind of help us to understand that rainy day fund, some of the money where it's going? Because the way I see it, everyone in Texas is benefiting from the oil and gas sector that you guys regulate. Talk to me about what you think this means to Texas. It's big numbers. So I, w- I like to break them down just a little bit more, if you don't mind. To me, that's about $73 million a day that is coming into Texas from oil and gas, right? That's a little bit smaller to me than that $26.5 because that's a huge number. And it's hard to get your arms around. Yeah. And and what you didn't mention, which I think is even more important, it's not just the taxes that are coming in, but the jobs that are created in the oil and gas industry. And so their numbers say we've got just about 480,000 people are, are directly engaged and involved and employed in the oil and gas industry this this past year. Those are big numbers for employment. And as we are been in whatever you want to call Biden economics, um, the only one of the only places that's really creating jobs in one of the only industries is the energy industry. And I think that's important to note. And Texas is leading in that. So with an average salary of about one hundred twenty four thousand dollars, that's real money to people and to families. So those smaller numbers are more important on a day-to-day basis, but you talked about the rainy day fund. So what people don't realize, Texas several years ago, and I say the legislature was smart and decided to put money aside in case we had a rainy day, we had a, a bad year economically, which that happens occasionally. We call mm-hmm. it the rainy day fund. Where is the funding come from? And that's where oil and gas really does touch everybody. The funding comes from severance tax dollars, meaning production taxes when when oil and natural gas are produced at the wellhead. Those dollars go into what we call the rainy day fund in Texas. Those are real dollars. We're close to 17 billion with a B dollars in that rainy day fund. And yet we've using those dollars. The legislature goes in and uses those dollars as well. So we've used it for we use about a billion dollars every year comes out and, and funds schools, public schools in the state. We're using it for roads and road infrastructure. And we all know how big Texas is and we need a lot more roads, a lot of people moving here. We use it for water and water infrastructure projects, particularly for municipalities and cities that they can go leverage some of these dollars to improve or build new systems. And we're also using it for anything else that the state of Texas needs. So right now, obviously, we're putting a lot of of resources at our border and using a lot for uh, defense of our border. And, and, and so you're seeing those dollars go there as well. And then you've got local communities are also benefiting. So Rainy Day Fund is, is all of that and then continues. But local communities benefit as well. So whether you're in Carnes County or Midland County, and I'll pick those two because a lot of times they have the most ta- their high production areas for those those two parts of the state, they're benefiting from the property taxes that are be- coming in. Because remember, industry isn't just paying rainy day fund dollars. They're also paying school taxes and property taxes and automobile taxes and everything that you and I pay, they're paying those taxes as well. So if you go out to an area, they've built a new hospital that a couple of these communities have or 
maybe a new football stadium or a new school. And a lot of that is because oil and gas dollars have gone, gone into their community. And so those are important for us, not just today, but long term to continue to improve the communities that are smaller towns as well as large. Well, and all of this money coming in together, as you said, it's large, $26.3 billion. It's hard to wrap your head around it. Um, when we come back from break, I want to drill down a little bit more because you talked about the schools and um, the counties, what they receive. But I think there's more to it in the way of understanding that we can't pass any legislation until we balance our budget. And without this kind of stuff, we can't even get started with sessions. So there's a little bit more to drill down into. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. Chairman Craddock, before the break, um, thank you for telling us about the main role and how important the role is of the Texas Railroad Commission. And there are three commissioners that serve. You have been the longest running, the most experienced of all three commissioners. And this year we hit record numbers for the oil and gas industry of what they contributed to the Texas economy, $26.3 billion. And before the break, you you broke it down in a way that I think your numbers were $73 million a day. So that might be a little easier for us to wrap our head around what that means to us. But take us a little further into, so we meet every two years, uh, we have laws on the books that tell us we have to balance our budget. And this oil and gas revenue, the, the rainy day fund, comes in to be a vital tool. Explain that to our listeners and then also talk about, if you can, who are the who what happens maybe if we don't hit our budget? Who are most affected um, in the state of Texas uh, when we don't have that? cushion of the, what we know is the Texas, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, Texas Rainy Day Fund. Well, thanks for the question, because I think it's important. And again, big numbers. So trying to understand what you do, but let's break it down to your household. The, legis- the Texas legislature is required by constitution to balance their budget every year for the state, just like you and I are. Every and and they can't and the controller certifies that budget and so if they haven't balanced it he doesn't certify the budget and they have to start over they have to go find money there have been years that we don't have enough money whether we've had a downturn in the economy and we've had years like that or whether we've had a real rainy day event like Hurricane Harvey. You know, you have to take into account real issues that happen in this state as well that you need to go. Re- help rebuild schools or help rebuild some things because we've had a real problem. That's when they go t- tap and actually they can't just use this money willy nilly, although they've 
you and I have constitutionally voted that it goes to our school funds, our permanent school fund, that it goes really to roads. And we've had to vote as a constitutional amendment to that. And well, and also that it goes to water infrastructure. The, those three things we voted on as, as voters through the years. But the legislature has by a vote of two thirds. So it's not like they can just go raid this fund because they decide they want to spend more money. It has to be thoughtful about where they're going to take, use this dollars because they've got to get two thirds vote by both member, both parties and both sides of the building, House and Senate. And so when they're going to use dollars because we're short on money, whether they're going to use it, like I said, some of this some of this money is going to border security today. They're using it to hire additional police to buy to part of the money went a few years ago to buy more vests and other things that we wanted to make sure so our our police enforcement are out there. We use it for teachers. We need to make sure we've our teachers get paid um, and that those dollars and our kids are educated. You'll see it and other dollars be used for um, health care. That's local dollars. So the the rainy day dollars are important to us. We don't want to ever drain the fund. We usually leave about at least $7 billion in. We've been as low as $4 billion. But again, we've had the opportunity in the last eight to 10 years to rebuild that. That doesn't mean it'll always be here. But um, at the at the numbers, record numbers we've got. So they're they're thoughtful about where to use the money. And if not, look, the dollars would come from you and I, because if there's not enough money in the budget, the, the other two places that we get money in this state on a regular basis are property taxes and sales taxes. So one of those two would have to go up. You and I, the general public, have to pay for the budget. And so for oil and gas to be able to contribute and they contribute again, you know, they're they're in the property tax piece, but they're also contributing through the rainy day fund. So this state is very vibrant, has opportunities in a high growth state to continue to grow and and provide services that all of us expect to show up. And we you know, when we don't really talk about this, we don't really understand. But I do remember prior to starting this gig, if you will, I was in nonprofit. And I do like to tell this story because we did have, uh, I think Comptroller had come, the Comptroller had mis just miscalculated. It happens. And we, at the time, Governor Perry was um, governor at the time, and he required a 20% budget cut across the state on right. all services. It, it stopped hiring. It, we had hiring freezes on teachers, law enforcement, paramedics. Uh, the most vulnerable couldn't get access to treatment, the mentally ill, the elderly. I mean, everything dries up and it is not good, Chairman Craddock. And, and we need to remember that, you know, this rainy day fund and how and how it is funded is important. That's why I say that, you know, what the Texas Railroad Commission does it's a it is the most important regulatory agency in the state of Texas. It's important it receives proper funding. It's important that we elect seasoned elected officials or, or seasoned veterans or people who understand the, how to balance not just um, oil and gas. And I, and I have seen that from you guys. You guys care about the environment. You care about the community. You make policy based on that. But you also understand that oil and gas has to also uh, expand too. 
And so it's all three of these things. And that's why, to me, experience does matter in this area of making sure we elect good railroad commissioners. Um, let's switch gears, if you will. And um, we might have to go into break, but you guys received $25 million in an initial grant to plug abandoned oil and gas wells from the U.S. Department of Interior in 2022. And yet in another uh, improvement, transparency, the Railroad Commission is launching an interactive map of ongoing orphan wells that are being plugged as part of using that federal infrastructure funding. When we come back from break, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to TexasMutual.com TXOGA. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Chairman Christy Craddock, who is the lead Texas Railroad Commissioner. Chairman Craddock, before the break, um, the commission had uh, applied and received a $25 million initial grant to plug abandoned oil and gas wells from the U.S. Department of Interior in 2022. And you guys now have launched an interactive map that shows the ongoing orphan wells that are being plugged as part of the federal infrastructure funding. Can you, first of all, I think Texas has kind of been the first. And so tell us a little bit about this great opportunity that we have received with federal dollars. Now, look, we have for 25 years had a very active oil, uh, plugging program for abandoned orphan wells. We've taken it very seriously. The industry has taken it very seriously. They plug most of the wells anyway, but we do have today about 8,000 orphan abandoned wells on our books, meaning we can't find the operator. And a lot of these are old wells before we ever had bonding, before people had to pay an insurance policy. So we're trying to make sure that we plug wells and we prior and we go out and inspect and prioritize them. If you've got one, the priority one would be one that we think could affect the environment. There's a leak to it, for instance, right? A water leak. Um, or you could have all the way down to priority four. When and priority four means there's a hole in the ground and it needs to be plugged because we need to do that, but it doesn't present a, a problem to the environment today. And we inspect those pretty regularly to make sure we keep up. And, you know, people call us too, which we're appreciative that they tell us. To, you're correct that in really two years ago, as federal dollars started coming out of D.C. to all sorts of projects, one of the things that they they put in the I, I, the, I call it the IRA bill, but the IJA bill is um, well plugging. And we appreciate that there were some congressmen who suggested that from Texas as well. They asked all states, and you had to have a 
well plugging program to start with. So we've had an active one. We continue with state dollars. That's one pot of money that we will continue plugging wells. We plugged we plug roughly a thousand a year with the with the state dollars. The federal dollars are a kind of different pot of money that we've got to go back. You know, we get federal dollars. It's not just a carrot, but a stick sometimes. So you've got to report what you do with those dollars. We advised them two years ago now that we had would need roughly 300, almost $330 million to plug all the wells we had on our books at that point. And they put that in their notes and we've been working through that process. In 2022, September 1st, we received $25 million unrestricted to plug wells in the state. We part of, we didn't know it was gonna become a requirement, but part of what we thought would be smart to do is with those federal dollars, so people could see what we were doing with the, with it for transparency. We do have a website as we're plugging dollars with federal uh, money. You'll, you'll see us put up what those wells are and what we've plugged. We plugged 730 wells with the initial $25 million. And we've got some more we will plug because we, we got, we sold equipment and get to use those dollars as well. And then the next tranche of money, which is officially phase one, actually it's been sitting at our agency for almost two weeks now. We as an agency, as well as other states, IOGCC, spent a year working with Department of Interior, figuring out what their guidelines were gonna, going to be for the next group. And we there'll be up to six different uh, tranches of money. They'll have, we'll have up to 10 years to 12 years to spend all the money that we hope to get. So we we gave comments back on their guidelines. We thought in August of this past year, we had guidelines, we knew what they were, and we were the first state to apply for money. We got it in fe February 1st, came, showed up at the agency, which is great. Here's the challenge we've got, and the reason I said it's sitting, and we are ready and willing and able to start using their dollars, but there's never quite with this administration specifically, you never aren't sure what you're going to get when it comes back to you. And so the stick they've now put in place, a couple of things that we don't agree with. One, for those of you, and I know you talk about carbon capture. Mm -hmm. If we're plugging a well, we can't use those car. We, the state, can't use the credits for carbon, uh, which... Okay, other companies can, but we the state, as we plug wells, those those credits go away. Okay, we could live with that. Maybe we weren't thrilled with that. But here's the issue that came down that nobody knew was coming until two weeks before we received money. Two things we now have to do before we can start a well plugging project. We have to go ask the historical society if there's any issues in the area where we have a project. Well, we at least have a good state historical society and, a, and an agency, so we think we somewhat timely. This was never anticipated, but somewhat timely can get them to say, no, you shouldn't have an issue. The other place, the, the other thing that is that they put in that nobody knew, and we aren't quite sure how we're going to manage this, and they don't know how to advise us yet, and this is the conversation, we have to assess where there is any endangered species, any place within a project, and we have to go get U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to sign off on those areas, potentially every well, but definitely every project or every area. And they have a minimum of 45 days. Now, we all know U.S. Fish doesn't do anything fast. I was going to so, say, uh-uh, <laughs> this, is, this, this is another conversation we're going to go into a rabbit hole. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patrio Show. We'll be right back. 
And we're back. You're listening to in the All Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Chairman Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. Chairman Craddock, you were discussing the money that you received from the Biden administration for plugging wells. You told us uh, some of the stipulations that are coming with it. And the last one before we hit break was you're going to have to go to the Endangered Species Agency and Fish and Wildlife. And every time we see these agencies, I know that they do great work and they're there for a reason. I'm not knocking them, but they are not going to move fast as we see all these projects slow walked when we talk about um, endangered species or fish and wildlife. So, so go on from that. So you will have to coordinate with these two agencies before you can plug a well. That's our understanding. And so we've gone back to department of interior. Apparently their general counsel's office put these provisions in with no notice to anybody. And so we're trying to understand what this means now. So what's happened to us in reality is we're not able to use those dollars until we understand what the guidelines mean, how they want us to work with U.S. Fish. And we all know working with U.S. Fish and or some of the people within Department of Interior, not easy and not timely. Minimum 45 days they have to respond if we if we believe there's an endangered species area. And look, a lot of these wells, quite frankly, are in West Texas, but it doesn't. So if you've got, you're plugging a well in West Texas, we know that they're trying to list now the lizard again and some other endangered species. So we anticipate in all over Texas, we've got endangered species, according to U.S. Fish. We anticipate this will be a real challenge. So it's gone beyond the statute, beyond the intention of what anybody knew. And we're the first state to get money. So nobody even knew this was coming. Like I said, we have been very wow. excited and are willing to use yours and my tax dollars, because that's where this is all coming from, to try to, to remediate wells and plug wells that really should be. And now we're stuck until we figure out a process and they don't even they don't know either um so not thoughtful not timely i would say to by department of interior and never thought never anticipated by any of us applying for dollars i think we would have thought twice and asked questions you know and and been more thoughtful but we're not and if because uh, i was like well go plug the wells and then we'll we'll figure it out afterwards and the comment I got back from the our our people were and my staff was we could do that, but if they haven't agreed to the process and we've plugged a well, we now have to pay for the well to be plugged and would probably have to pay a penalty too. So wow. your tax dollars not at work appropriately, and I don't think members of Congress anticipated this or knew about it. Um, yeah. Maybe they did, but I can tell you none of us did, and a lot of people have been involved pretty actively for about three years, trying to make sure these dollars are spent appropriately. Right. So. It's it's such a sad situation, but hopefully the money is in a, a bank account that is at least getting money off of we so. We hope so. There. That's right. But meanwhile, we've got state dollars. We're going to be plugging wells. So with that pro the process won't start. We stop. We just won't be able to start the federal program restarted again until we figure it out. And, you know, that's kind of been the problem with the Biden administration is how they switch gears. You know, recently in one of uh, Shell Magazine's cover, we did a, a report on the Willow Project. 
And that was a travesty in the fact that, you know, I think the operator was ConocoPhillips and and they had, you know, done everything they were supposed to do. This has been ongoing for years and a new administration just comes in and uh, starts regulating it out of existence or the Keystone Pipeline just kills it through an executive order. And, And the challenge becomes how do you as a business, you know, put something on a project get it funded. And then of course it takes years for it to evolve permitting and everything else, just to know that 20 years into the process, it's, it's killed through uh, regulations and, and changing um, agreements that were not in place in the beginning. And it sounds like this is happening to the state of Texas with this. Let's, let's talk though about the Biden administration's announcement on halting all future LNG export terminals. We have a lot here in Texas. What is the railroad commission's thought on this and, and, and how is it going to affect the state of Texas in your opinion, Chairman Craddock? We think it's one of the least thought through things that the Biden administration's done. And let me say they've done a lot of things that they don't understand or appreciate energy. This one particularly what's going on, not just in this state and in this country, but what's going on worldwide to now limit the LNG that we're going to be able to export out of this country is not well thought through. And I would just say it's crazy. Uh, But I think it's their environmental agenda that maybe they think it stops oil and gas from being produced. I would argue that it doesn't, but it may be some real challenges. So today we do have three LNG terminals. We're exporting liquid natural gas to friends. And I say friends all over the world, whether it's Poland and France and Australia and Japan and South Korea, countries that are trying not to take natural gas from Russia. Uh, people would are looking for other alternatives, and we're happy to uh, sell them our natural gas. Well, so we have three terminals in Texas. There are three more in permitting, and, a, and one of the existing terminals is waiting in, for an additional permit to expand. So you back up from those terminals that now can't create the jobs, Each one of those terminals is five to $10 billion each of investment in this state and in the country. Then you go, the the gas has to get there. So you've got pipelines. Those pipelines take time, as you said, it takes time to plan the project. So you've got pipelines that have planned to supply natural gas to those terminals. Are they on pause? Do they continue? They've still got to go through. They've got to get built. They've got to go acquire land. And then you back up even further and you go to the operator who's out in the field who's drilling for natural gas. And they have a pretty it's I mean, it's a pretty tight market today. It's it's a relatively cheap commodity in this in the state we're a lot cheaper natural gas than you can get any place else in the world so there's opportunity for them to sell it across the world now do they continue drilling those natural gas wells do they pause what do you do with this natural gas so i think it's the so it affects all the way up and down the food chain so to speak in the in the natural gas chain, but also really has to do with the U.S. not leading on energy policy around the world. And that's what this administration has just done. So the Railroad Commission, you've seen all three of us come out very vocally against this policy. And 
without having asked anybody who understands oil and gas or what it would do, this is what this administration has decided that they will do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that they're going to be reelected. I hope not. But if they are, I think it's a real negative for or even if they aren't, it's a real negative for the next year about how projects have stopped and how people are looking to invest their dollars. And do they go invest someplace else? Exactly. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to continue this conversation on LNG. And then I want to switch gears and talk about what the Railroad Commission is working on. Excuse me, of any meaningful changes that you guys are working on, because I know you guys are very mindful of the environment, serving the citizens of Texas, the community. So it's a balancing act. And I want to get into that. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the old patch radio show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. Chairman Craddock, before the break, we were discussing the Railroad Commission's thoughts and yours on um, the announcement from the Biden administration that they were halting all future LNG exporting terminals to review quickly, as they said, on what is the environmental impact and economic impact. They also said they would have a rider in there that would not prohibit us from uh, still continuing to provide natural gas to our allies, our friends in Europe. However, a lot of people that I've interviewed as of lately on the show have said, well, if it doesn't last too long, it won't impact. But if this goes on and on, it's going to start impacting the markets globally of what we can produce. I want to Tell me your thoughts on, um, so this does go long-term. It has turned into a political hot potato for the Biden administration and uh, whoever's the nominee for the Republican Party. Does this affect um, our ability with them not approving exporting terminals that were scheduled to open to provide this natural gas to our um, our allies? And, and, and how does this affect the environment? And do other countries have as great of resources as we do when we talk about regulatory oversight? So I, I, when I think to your first question, I think it begins to impact not in the next few months. And I've asked several companies who are, say, building pipes, right? Um, does it impact how you're planning and what you're looking at? They're planned through this year, potentially, but does it affect them in, a, in six months, a year? Absolutely. Are you going to build a pipe because you don't have an LNG terminal that you've either gotten a permit or have additional permits for? Sure. They're going to go build pipes someplace else. Um, but secondarily, I think it's even more important where the natural gas in the world is going to come from. So if you just look today, the largest supplier of natural gas to the world is Russia. They're the lar- they have the most reserves in the world. We're number four in the world. We have been actively on the open market and for in, in the LNG open market for many years. And I think it's changed the dynamics. When, when, you, when you ask the environmental question, there is no place else in the world that has the environmental regulations and, and beliefs and because we all want to do it well more than the United States. So Russia isn't doing anything that's clean. Neither is anybody else who has natural gas. They're all looking to the U.S. and specifically Texas. And I will say this week, I had people from Australia in my office. They're trying to restart their natural gas market. They see an opportunity. They've got some pretty strict environmental rules and regulations in place almost too much that they can't they're trying to figure out how to get development to come in i think texas and the us have struck a good balance today 
between environmental regulation, which we need and really do have some of the strongest ones in the world, or if not the strongest, versus allowing innovation and development of our, our resources to be supplied all over the world. So you're not going to find a better place than than the U.S. And frankly, like I said, Texas is leading the way. So um, I don't I think the administration didn't think through that didn't realize maybe the backlash, maybe didn't care. But um, this administration has not been friendly to oil and gas and frankly to the energy industry. Every time oil and gas comes up with a a good idea that we're going to move forward and have innovation, they seem to say, oh, no, it's not y'all. We're going to figure out somebody else to do it. And frankly, this industry has more innovation and thought about how to do projects than any other industry in the world, in my opinion. And I think we're we're stifling some ideas because of overregulation of the federal government. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the 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 ability to not understand that we are going to spend millions of dollars in R&D, research and development. These energy companies understand there's huge amounts of regulation over them and oversight. So, of course, they are the ones who are lowering their carbon footprint by coming up with new technology. And this administration wants to halt that and ship it off to China or Russia or some other country that doesn't have this regulatory oversight. We are defeating what they talk about climate change. It's not accurate. And so I will say that energy matters. To me, it seems like it's a matter of national security that we need to be paying attention to. And I don't think personally, I will vote for anyone that does not have a strong energy policy. Uh, And I don't see a lot coming out of, unfortunately, this administration. But Let's switch gears and talk about and leave this show on a good note. What are some of the things that the Texas Railroad Commission is working on to enhance the environment or something that you guys see as meaningful change to help lower our carbon footprint and help the state of Texas with that balancing act that we talk about that, you know, we've got to watch climate change and the environment and the citizens, but we also have to keep drilling. Are there some things you guys are working on? So there are a few, and unfortunately, a couple of them have to do with us working with the federal government. So we hold our breath a little bit. But we, we, the Railroad Commission, our, one of our main focuses is protecting the environment. So thank you for asking that question, because you've seen us since in the many, in the years that I've been here, improve our rules and look at best practices. So we've got one rulemaking going on right now that we are looking at uh, solid waste disposal, pits, and other other ways we what we deal with with waste and that is an issue in the oil field and so you'll see us by the end of the year have I call it new improved rules, some additional rules to that. Um, we A lot of those industry has come in and given us good feedback. Um, we've gotten 120 comments plus on the initial draft of this rule. And, and so figuring out that balancing act, and it really is smaller operators, larger operators, volumes, and um, in different parts of the state have different geology. So we're trying to make sure we've balanced that because one size doesn't always fit all and how we can make sure that everybody still has an opportunity to develop resources, but we allow for innovation in that space. The other one of the couple of the other things that we're working on and working with the federal government on CO2 injection wells. So they want to, whether you agree with it or not, they want to make sure we are capturing CO2 and putting it underground. Well, We've been doing that as an agency and doing it in EOR, but this is a different type of of well. We've asked the EPA for primacy on what we call class six wells. They're injection wells that would help store CO2 underground long-term. Whether you agree with that or not, we're for the jobs and the job creation and the innovation that that brings to this state. Uh, So we're in the process of, of waiting on the EPA, to be honest. 
We applied for class six uh, primacy, meaning we get to put the permit out instead of waiting a company going two to three years waiting for the EPA to get a permit out. We think we can get a permit out that will be done in say six months. That's a big difference if you're trying to look for innovation and you want to do something with carbon. We're happy to do that. We think that's a, a priority for this state. And uh, we've had a lot of companies come to us and say, we see an opportunity. So we're waiting. North Dakota, Wyoming, and just at the end of the year, Louisiana got primacy. We're hopeful we don't take three and a half years like Louisiana. We hope we'll, we'll see. We'll, we're in process. Um, the other things we're watching as an agency, again, I mentioned um, hydrogen. So we're, we're, we're excited to see where hydrogen and the uses and opportunities where hydrogen is. This council will have some good recommendations, I think. And the last thing we're really actively watching as an agency and have frankly asked the attorney general to sue on as soon as the rules are published in the federal register as methane and methane emission. Uh, look, you've got an industry that is taken a very aggressive stance to clean up hydrogen and flaring from our perspective as an agency. And we've worked with them for the last five years. They have taken it very seriously in our, in our, in our um, mind. And we are now flaring less than 1% of the gas that we are, are producing in the state. So the lowest number of any state in the entire country. Um, again, methane rules are not one size fits all. And we think this rule, they can't figure out the science behind it. And, and we're, we've asked the AG to sue to stop the EPA rule and put a different rule in place or that has more thought behind it. Very good point. They ought to come to Texas and learn what we're doing here. Thank Chairman you. Craddock, thank you for being a guest on the show and coming in and talking to us about what you guys are working on. And we look forward to having you back here in the near future. Thank you for thank joining Thank you for having me. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.